we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Man, y'all, I am so excited about this series, right? Uh, this is us. We launched today. Some of y'all are wondering what this tissue was about that you received when you came in. And now some of you know, right? Because whether you're a fan of the show or not, here's what you know about This Is Us. It is an utter cry fest, isn't it? It just is. I mean, this show has the power to make like 280-pound NFL linebackers weep like little babies. It just does. And uh, in fact, we're, we're going to be sharing some fun clips of weepy moments over these weeks in the show. Uh, and that's what the tissue is about. And you might even decide you want to you wanna cry a little bit today. That's okay. Or you can just blow your nose with it and move on. <laughs> but you know, one of the things, uh, you talk to folks who just love the show. Not, not all of us watch it, but uh, talk to folks who love this show. And it seems to have just captured something about the heart of our culture today, hasn't it? There's just something about this show that uniquely taps into the reality of relationships in our lives. These aren't uh, leave it to beaver relationships. They're not Brady Bunch relationships. Uh, They're not even friends relationships. There's something about this show that taps deep into the heart of what relationships are all about. And that's what this series is about for us as a church. We're exploring the relationships in our lives that matter most because we know, we believe that relationships matter. They do. Now, uh, you know, it doesn't take too long in life to learn that relationships are hard. They get messy, don't they? In fact, uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult to love other people. Sometimes people are just difficult people. Uh, and all of us have those folks in our lives. If you have somebody in your life that kind of a difficult relationship or a challenging relationship, just, just raise your hand. If you have somebody in your life kind of challenging, raise your hand. Okay. Now, if you're not raising your hand, maybe you're that person, right? Um, <laughs> So in this series, we're going to try and wrestle with what do the scriptures have to say about the relationships in life that matter most, about healthy, thriving relationships. Jesus said we've got to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and we have to love one another. That's what it means to follow him. We're going to look at a couple of topics we're going to look at in this series. Uh, how, do we, how do we form relationships that last? How do we make lasting relationships? What does it mean to forgive someone when they've deeply wounded or hurt or even betrayed us? Well, how do we honor our parents? Ooh, this one's going to be good. How do we honor our parents, especially when our parents aren't living honorably? And then finally, what kinds of relationships does Jesus actually invite us to form? That's kind of where we're headed in this series. I hope you'll plan to be with us. Invite friends. We are going to have a lot of fun. Uh, But today I want to jump into talking about a topic that is kind of foundational. I want to address something in our relational world that if we don't get this right, it has the power to sabotage the relationships that are closest to us. Relationships, when they're going right, can be a great source of joy. When they're going wrong, they can be a deep source of pain. How do we get these relationships right? Today, I want to talk about something that we're going to call boundaries. Boundaries. Now, the Bible has a ton to say about this. I mean, a ton to say. In fact, one of the foundational verses on relationships is found in Galatians 5. This is going to be a theme verse for us. uh, And it goes like this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, 
serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Bible says that we are to love one another, but we are to love freely. Not compulsively, not manipulatively, not out of fear and not out of guilt, but freely. And that is what boundaries are all about. Today I'm going to do a little more teaching than preaching. I want to give you, give you the outline right up front. Here's where we're going today. You ready? Just three parts for the note takers. We're going to first look at what is a boundary. This might be a new concept to some of you. What is a boundary? Secondly, why do boundaries matter? What happens when we don't get this right? What do the scriptures uh, warn us about in this? And then thirdly, how can we grow in boundaries? Or what I'm going to call the big three skills. And that's for those of you who actually like the show. You get it, the big three. Uh, You can Google that later if you want. Uh, Many of the ideas that I have today come from a book by Dr. Cloud and Townsend. These are Christian psychologists who've really been the forerunners in this concept of boundaries. I could not more highly commend this book to you if you want to do a deep dive on the subject. So let's jump right in. Question number one, what is a boundary? I first learned about boundaries from Mrs. White in my kindergarten class. Do you all remember your kindergarten teacher? Uh, Mrs. White did something interesting. She had a rug on the floor in the center of the classroom. And when it was story time, which is my favorite time of school, we would all go sit on the rug. But we didn't have like cool Ikea rugs when I was a kid. So this was just a gray rug. And she had taped off these squares on the rug like a giant grid. You get the picture of that? And so we were each to sit in our own little square. And we were to not touch or bother anybody else in their square during story time. Now, the only problem was my best friend who lived in my neighborhood, Kate, also was in Mrs. White's class, and Kate would always sit right in front of me just to taunt me, because my favorite thing to do during story time was to poke Kate, right? Now, this was before poking. Do you all remember poking on Facebook? You remember when Facebook, that was like the big thing, we're on Facebook, ooh, poke, right? Like, it's like, what's this all about? Well, anyway, poking was not allowed in Mrs. White's class, and so every time I would poke Kate, Kate would shoot her hand up, call on Mrs. White, and guess who got in trouble, right? It just seemed, it was kindergarten. We were learning how to relate. But boundaries, boundaries are like that. Boundaries are, in our, many, in our, our physical world, are commonplace. Things like fences, sidewalks, guardrails, But it's no different when it comes to relationships, though they can be harder to see. Healthy relationships require boundaries. In every relationship, there is a square that is me, and there is a square that is you. And we may come together, but there is a boundary between me where I stop and you begin. That is the boundary. Now, let's say you and I are neighbors, just for illustration. Let's say we're neighbors, and you've got a big tree in your yard that keeps dropping leaves in my yard. Hypothetical case here, right? And I talk to you, I say, hey, neighbor, would you please deal with this tree problem? And you refuse to do anything. So one night, I secretly climb over the fence, break out my chainsaw, and cut down your tree. Now, we have a word for that in our culture. What do we call that? Insanity. Yes, that's insanity. No, I'm just kidding. We call that trespassing, don't we? I'm crossing a boundary, and I'm doing so illegally. Well, see, it's no different when it comes to our relationships. Did you know that the Bible actually, one of the strongest words the Bible uses for sin has to do with this idea of trespassing? It's the Hebrew word, pasha. Everyone say, pasha. 
That, doesn't that sound like Keanu Reeves or something? Pshaw, dude, like I'm an FBI agent. Or wait, anyway, um, that was not in the script. Pshaw, get this, here's what Pshaw means, right? Pshaw literally means to trespass, to cross a boundary. There's an example of it we see in Joseph's story. Joseph is given a beautiful coat by his father. His brothers become jealous. They throw him in a pit and they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And you thought your brother was mean. Well, years later, the tables are turned and Joseph gets to confront his brothers. And listen to what they say to him years later. They say, please forgive the trespasses, the pasha of your brothers and their sin because of the evil they did to you. You see, sin at its core is a boundary issue. That's what Adam and Eve discovered in the garden, wasn't it? The first human beings. God put them there. He gave them one boundary. Here's a tree. There's the fruit. Don't eat it. Do you remember Eve? She knew that was a boundary, right? She kind of intensified a little bit. She said, we're not even allowed to touch it. But she understood there was a boundary. And of course, they crossed that boundary. They violated their relationship with God. They sinned by trespassing. And then, of course, God shows up, and what do they do? Well, they play the blame game. Well, she made me do it, and then she says, well, no, the snake made me do it, and on and on we go, trespassing on each other, trying to put our actions on someone else instead of being responsible for our own stuff. Now, I think the best way to understand what a boundary in relationships is like is to see the difference between these two words, the word to and the word for. Here's here's what boundaries really mean in relationships. In a healthy relationship, I am responsible to you and for myself. In a relationship, I am responsible to you, but I am responsible for myself. I'm responsible to you, to be honest, to be kind, to follow through on my promises and commitments, but I am not responsible for you for your choices, your emotions, or the consequences of your decisions. I am responsible to you, but I am not responsible for you. One of my favorite stories that illustrates this comes from Dr. Cloud, the author of the book. He tells a story of when he was in college. He was a sophomore at SMU, Southern Methodist University, in Dallas, Texas. And uh, in one of his classes one day, he meets this beautiful girl, and he decides to pursue a relationship with her. And they start dating, and it's building and growing. And then one day he learns that this isn't just any girl. This is actually the governor of Texas' daughter. You got that? So her father is the governor of Texas. So then comes the fateful day where he has to go and meet her father, right? So they plan this out, and, and actually the father invited him to come spend the weekend at his ranch in Texas. So they made plans. He was going to go pick up his girlfriend, and they were going to drive together from the house to go see the parents who were already at the ranch. He gets to the house, and uh, his girlfriend says, hey, let's let's take my dad's car, but why don't you drive? So they pile in the car, and they pull out the gate of the giant mansion, and they go the wrong way because he doesn't know where he's going. So then he has to make an illegal U-turn, upon which he collides head-on with a car coming in the opposite direction. Now, they were both okay, but the car was utterly Total. Pre-cell phone days, they run back into the house. He calls up his own father and says, Dad, I don't know who to call. This is just what happened. Can you help? And the dad says, okay, first of all, are you both okay? And they say, yeah, yeah, we're fine, uh, but the car is total. 
I don't know who to call, Dad. Do I call her insurance? Do I call his insurance? Do I call my insurance? What do we do? And it said, well, uh, you know, let me get this fact straight here. Uh, you're dating the governor's daughter. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, you haven't met him yet. No, no, I haven't met him yet. You just totaled his car. Yeah, that's right. And you're going to spend the weekend with him at his ranch. And he said, yep, that's right. Now, Dad, who do I call? And his dad said, well, son... I don't know, but here's what I do know. If you're old enough to have gotten yourself into this predicament, you're old enough to get yourself out, but give me a call and let me know how it goes. <laughs> Hardly a case of helicopter parenting, right? Almost unthinkable in our world today, but see, Henry's father knew something about boundaries. He was responsible to his son, but he was not responsible for his son. Now, quick caveat, because we all kind of get this. Look, if you've got a three-year-old at home, there are just some behaviors and needs and things that you are responsible for as a parent. But one day that child grows up, and we are invited to have a different kind of relationship with our now-grown adult children. So what are some of the things that we are to be responsible for in relationships? What kinds of things are our responsibility? Well, long before there was Dr. Phil or Kim Kardashian, King Solomon was giving relationship advice in Proverbs 4.3. Listen to what he says. This is super powerful. And if you remember anything from today, I want you to remember this verse. Here's what Solomon had to say. He says this. Guard your heart above all else. Okay, anytime the Bible says above all else, we should pay attention, right? Guard your heart above all else for everything you do flows from it. You see, for the ancient Hebrews, this idea of heart was was symbolic. It represented your interior world. It was your world of thoughts and attitudes, emotions, desires, behaviors, and yes, your decisions. These are the things, Solomon says, that no one else is responsible for. Only you are responsible for your heart. If you've ever tried to own or be responsible for someone else's emotional happiness, you know how just crazy making this can be, right? I can't make you happy any more than I can make it rain tomorrow. I can be kind to you. I can listen to you. But I cannot be responsible for your emotions. That's your heart. That's your square. Now, there are two ways that we kind of get out of balance on this, two ways that boundaries go sideways for us typically. And I want to spend just a few minutes on this before we get to our practical steps. Uh, The first way that boundaries get out of balance is when we have someone in our life whose life is out of control, right? Their life is out of control. Uh, It's a relationship between somebody's behavior or someone's attitude. It's just off the charts. It is off the scale. They're impulsive. They act out. They're destructive. They destroy people. They destroy the balance. And they destroy relationships. And the pain from their choices, their out-of-controlness, spills over from their life into yours. Anybody feeling my pain right now, right? Many of us have experienced these kinds of relationships. The best example of an out-of-control relationship is a relationship that you might have with an addict, someone wrestling with an addiction who is not getting help. If you've got a relationship with an addict, you understand exactly what I'm talking about because an addict is imprisoned by something. 
by money or alcohol or some other substance or pornography or fortnight, uh-oh, overworking, overeating, overexercising, whatever it is. This is the thing that dominates their life to the neglect of everything else. And whatever it is, whatever it is, this substance, this behavior, everything begins to center around it. And they trample on the hearts of those closest to them heedlessly. Now, here's what often happens if you're in that kind of relationship. The person uh, with a person who's not appropriately guarding their heart, and you're not guarding your heart, you will start to do something where you will begin to take responsibility for their problems and their pain and their emotions as if they were your own. All of a sudden, you assume what psychologists call a parental role over that addict. You're trying to fix them. You end up enabling them. You try to rescue them all in the name of love. But we have a word for this. It's called codependency. You you know what a codependent is, right? A codependent is someone whom, when they're falling off a cliff, someone else's life passes before their eyes, right? That's supposed to be funny. Is that kind of funny? (laughs) See, everything gets out of balance. And here's the real tragedy of this. Because we're doing it in love. We think we're doing the right thing. But what we're doing is we're not honoring boundaries. We're not guarding our hearts. We're not respecting the boundary of another person. And it's terrible because they don't get better. And you don't get better. And now we have two people who are in the same pit together. We think we're helping. We think we're protecting. But we're just enabling. That's the first way that relationships can go out of balance when it comes to boundaries. But the second way is just the opposite. The first way is we get out of balance because someone else's life is out of control. The second way boundaries get out of balance is when someone else is trying to control you. And there are two ways that this happens. The first way is through anger. Here's what somebody sounds like when they're trying to control you. They're trying to cross your boundary through anger. They'll say things like this. If you don't do it my way, I'm going to be mad. If you do it my way, we're fine. If you don't do it my way, I might explode. I might get angry at you. I might punish you with my emotions. I'll tell you that it's I'm being responsible for my anger. I'll tell you that it's even a moral issue or a rational way to do things. But really, it's just my way. And because you won't do it my way, I'm going to get angry. I'll get mad, I'll escalate, and I'll blow up. I might even get short with you. I might even use some scary words around you. I might even get violent. I'm going to have a tantrum that will teach you to cross me ever again. It's very powerful, isn't it? See how we control by anger? The other way people try to control, try to trespass on boundaries, is through guilt. Guilt doesn't say, if you don't do it my way, I'll be angry at you. Guilt says, if you don't do it my way, I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be sad. In fact, in my household, the kids call this mopey daddy. Because if I suffer from one of these more than the other, it is the guilt. You didn't do things, we're not going to do things my way. Well, I guess it's okay. I guess I'll just sacrifice as the... Is that a good mopey daddy? That's kind of my mopey daddy, isn't it? I'm not proud of it, but I contend to be mopey day. And this is just as strong a form of control as is anger. Think about the man who was on vacation with his wife and family. 
This time he wasn't going to see his mom because they were traveling in the opposite direction. So he calls the mom and says, Mom, we're not going to be in your state. We're not going to be able to stop by and see you. And what does she say? Do you know how many hours I was in labor with you in my belly? Right? You see, that's controlled by guilt, right? Moms were pretty good at that. We always have the labor card. Whenever we want to play the labor card, it's always there. You see, mom's not angry. She's just hurt. But she's still trying to control now, all of us tend to be vulnerable to one or the other of these. Like some of us, the anger is like, ah, oh, that doesn't bother me, the guilt, oh. Or some of us, the guilt doesn't bother me, the oh, but the anger. How, how many of you are most vulnerable to the anger? Just shoot up your hands. Just shoot up your hands. You're most, all, right. all right, how many of you are more vulnerable to the guilt? More the guilt? And then the other you guys just aren't vulnerable. Is that it? We're, we're not going to raise our hands. Actually, in an audience like this, we typically have 50-50 on this. But these are two powerful ways that people cross boundaries, and boundaries get out of bounds. Well, don't worry, there is hope. And with God's help, we can learn to form healthy boundaries in our closest relationships. And with the few minutes we have left, I want to talk about three important skills that we need if we are going to have healthy relationships and healthy boundaries. Each of these is going to be anchored in a scripture, but let me walk through these one at a time. First boundary skill we're going to have to learn is we're going to have to learn to love others without rescuing them. Love others without rescuing them. You see, loving and rescuing are very different things. Rescuing and enabling and codependency are not nearly the same thing as love because love says, I'm on your team, I'm on your side, but I'm not going to try to fix you. That's your responsibility. I'm here to help, I'm here to support, but I can't take responsibility for your problems and your decisions. Look at how the Apostle Paul describes this in Galatians 6. He writes, You are to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But just three verses later, he picks up the same idea, and he says this, Yet each one should carry their own load. So we're to carry each other's burdens, but we're supposed to carry our own load. Paul, what are you saying? Are you saying that I'm supposed to carry my problems and the problems of other people? Like, I just should not have gotten out of bed this morning, right? Like, that's just too much. But let me explain what's happening here. You see, we're supposed to go the extra mile with folks. We're supposed to give them the shirt off our backs, especially to people in need. That is just the Jesus way of life. Sacrifice is a part of it. But let me explain this in terms of what this passage is saying. You see, in the Greek, the two words here are very different. The word for burden actually means a heavy weight that is too big for one person to carry. One Bible commentator calls these boulders. We're to carry one another's boulders, a back-crushing burden that no one person can carry. What are some boulders that we see in our life? Well, let me just give a few of these. When someone's going through a divorce, that is a boulder they're carrying, isn't it? When they're facing a medical condition that they just can't defeat, that is a boulder. Or their kids get sick, that's a boulder. A financial issue, the house goes under, they lose a job, they're getting foreclosed on. These are boulders in life that no one person can carry. We are supposed to carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ until a time when they can carry it themselves again. But that's not at all what the second part of this passage means. 
You see, a load is not a burden. A load is actually a knapsack, a lunch pail, a backpack. A load is your daily provisions and your daily responsibilities. Everything we mentioned in that guard your heart section, your decisions, your attitudes, your emotions, your thoughts, your choices, these are your things to carry. They are nobody else's responsibility. And Jesus was simply amazing at this. He really was. Jesus never forced himself on anyone. One of my favorite Jesus stories comes from a time when Jesus and the boys were, were doing a road trip to Jerusalem. And they come into Jerusalem and there's crowds around them. And then Jesus hears this crazy guy over here screaming. His name's Bartimaeus. And he's blind, we're told. And he just starts, I mean, he's screaming at Jesus. And Jesus is like, what? So he goes over to this guy on, on the side of the road and, and he looks at him. And everybody knows that Bartimaeus is blind. But you know what Jesus says to him? The first words Jesus says, he says, what would you like me to do for you? Can you imagine standing there? They're like, Jesus, are you crazy? The dude is blind. What do you mean? What does he want you to do for him? But Jesus respected the man's boundary. He wasn't going to force himself. He simply said, what can I do for you? And the man asked for a sight. Jesus gives it. Jesus was remarkable at honoring the boundaries of people. If we're going to have healthy boundaries in our relationships, we have to learn to love others without rescuing them. The second one builds on that. We're also going to have to learn to love others enough to tell the truth. I read a story this week. This just made me chuckle. A story this week about a woman celebrating her 60th birthday. Uh, she'd been married for 40 years, and every year for her birthday, her husband would bake her a chocolate cake from scratch. And this was the tradition. So this one time, you know, she's there, and he, he's baked this cake, and uh, and, and she's getting ready to blow out the candles, and then just in that moment, she just blurts out. She says, I just can't do it anymore. And he said, do, do what anymore? She said, I just can't eat chocolate cake anymore. And he said, what are you talking about? She says, I hate chocolate cake. <laughs> and he says, but, but I've been baking you chocolate cakes for your birthday every year for 40 years. And she says, I know. And he says, but you don't like chocolate cake? He says, she says, no, you love chocolate cake, and I haven't had the courage to tell you I don't like it. <laughs> I've just been too afraid of disappointing you, she says. See, healthy relationships, healthy relationships, according to the Scripture, are defined by grace and by truth. When we are unable to tell the truth about ourselves in a relationship, we fail to show up. There is no us in the relationship. It's like, it's like a relationship with a ghost, an imagined other. Being able to speak truth in love is what a mature relationship is all about. Look at how Ephesians 4 describes this. Paul writes, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. 
Now, if you've grown up in the church, you may have heard this verse, and you may have thought this was like permission for you to read someone the riot act, right? I once had a small group leader in a previous church, not here. She said she's having a hard time with some folks in her group, and she said, Aaron, when do I get to speak the truth to them in love? I said, no, 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 you're missing the point here, right? This is mostly about telling the truth about ourselves, not reading a riot act to someone else. It's about relationships. It's about truthfulness in love. See, a lot of folks think, man, if I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to be like Jesus in a relationship, I have to not have any wants or desires. I have to disappear. That's what love really requires. To, To voice my needs, to show up, to tell the truth about me is somehow selfish. But this is not at all about selfishness. This is about dignity. It's about showing up in a relationship instead of disappearing into the background. And oftentimes it will involve having some very hard conversations. I don't like chocolate cake. I do, I do, but you just get the point, right? I do like chocolate cake. Again, Jesus is our role model in this. Jesus never shied away from speaking the truth in love. He always did it in love. One of my favorite examples of this uh, comes from a story of a man they call the rich young ruler, right? This is a guy who shows up one day, Jesus is out teaching, this guy comes up, and this guy has it all together, right? This is like the, this is first round draft pick guy. This is the guy you want on your team, right? And he comes to Jesus, he's like, hey, Jesus, can I be on your team? I'm all on board. But Jesus knows something about this guy. He knows that there's actually one issue that's going to be a major stumbling block for this guy in following Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, I would love for you to come and follow me, but in order to do that, you're going to have to address this issue in your life. You're going to have to wrestle with this love of money thing that's got control over you. See, Jesus doesn't try to fix that, right? He doesn't come in there, codependent, enable it, save him, rescue He says, you're going to have to deal with this, and then come and follow me. He gives him the invitation, and guess what? The man walks away, and Jesus lets him. We have to love others enough to tell them the truth. Is there a hard conversation in your relationship right now that you've been too afraid to have? What if you were to ask God to give you the courage to tell the truth about yourself? Now, I need to give you a quick aside here, because I'm not talking on this directly today, but I felt as I was praying for you all this morning, I, I didn't want to miss this. If you are in an unsafe or abusive relationship, and if that's you today, I, wanted, I want you to know, Jesus would want you to tell the truth about that. There's never a time when he would say, cover it up, sweep it under the rug, We don't want to shame the other person. That actually loving means hiding. Not for Jesus. Speaking the truth in love. And if you don't have someone safe that you can speak that truth to, someone at the church, you can talk to Dean or me, uh, anyone on our staff. We would love to help you to tell the truth about that pain in your life. Third and final. We've got to love others enough to tell the truth. We also have to love ourselves enough to say no. We live in such a crazy time. The, the pace of our culture and our society has never 
been faster. It has never been more exhausting than it is today. And many of us feel the pressure to say yes to everything, right? And there's more than any one person can possibly do. We feel the pressure to say yes to every social engagement, every kid's sport, every extracurricular activity, and we end up forfeiting our freedom. Saying yes when we should say no is like writing a check that we don't have the money in the bank account to cover. Jesus said it very plainly when he said this. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But listen to the rest of this. Anything beyond this comes from the pit of H-E double hockey sticks. (laughs) Tell you what, you know what? When you say yes when you really should have said no, it is a kind of living hell, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, we've been there, and yet we keep doing it to ourselves. Why? Why? See, this is a boundary issue. Many of us are too afraid to say that little word in O. So I've actually got an alternative for you, okay? Because I know some of y'all are afraid to say, I won't even say it, just I don't want to scare you. So I've got an alternative phrase. I want you to practice this one with me. I want you to say this after me. I'm going to say it, you repeat it. That just doesn't work for me. Say it. That just doesn't work for me. Okay, that wasn't too painful, was it? How would your life be different this week? When instead of saying yes when you should have said no, you were simply to say thank you, That just doesn't work for me. Where in your life might you need to say no? Maybe even to something that is good in order to be able to say yes to something that really matters. Healthy boundaries depend on our ability to say no. This uh, talk came home to me These last few weeks, I have a close friend in my life who has been married multiple decades. And uh, they've just come to a place in their life where they've realized that they have not been honoring this idea of boundaries in their marriage relationship. And he reached a place where he he realized he could could go on pretending, but he was kind of living in that hell. He he was kind of dying. He, He wasn't even showing up in the relationship anymore. And so he, he's talked to some friends, he, he, he got some courage, he had them pray for them, and then he went to his spouse and he, and he said this, he said, I just can't allow myself to continue living as I'm living. I want a better us. Do you hear the power in that statement? You see, he's not putting the problem off on his wife. That's typically what we do, right? You go into a counseling session, well, she, blah, 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 blah. Well, he, da, 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 right? And he's saying, look, I, I'm responsible for me. I've got to guard my heart. This is no one else's responsibility except mine. He said, I cannot allow myself to continue living like this. I want a better us. What would that look like in your relationship? Maybe it's with a spouse or a parent. Maybe it's with a, a friend or a coworker. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Chances are we all have a relationship where boundaries have gotten out of balance. And we're not living, we're not thriving in that relationship the way that God says we are to thrive. 
Because it is for freedom that you have been set free. Final thought before we sing and close and go home. You know, one of the amazing things about Jesus in his relationship with us is that Jesus honors his boundaries with us. Jesus came. He got down in the trenches with us. He came right alongside of us. But Jesus will never force his way into our lives. In fact, the Bible says that he stands at the door and he knocks. And the question is, will you let him in? And as we sing this final song, I just want to give you an opportunity to to let this be a kind of prayer. What would it look like for you to open that door and say, Jesus, I need your help to live with healthy boundaries in this relationship. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. Will you help me? What might he do this week? How might your relational world be different if you were to let him help you? Can we pray?